Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Definitely not all all uh, smooth sailing in in property investing. It never is. I guess you, you've got to prepare for that. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shum, and in this episode, we're speaking with founder and global operations manager of Star Dynamic Property Investments, Lindsay Stewart. We delve into his career before he started investing in property, the story of how he started investing in properties in the United States, the big differences between the US and Australian property markets, and much, much more. Lindsay Stewart is the founder of his own property investment business, which helps clients focus mainly on buying properties in the US market. I run a property investment business here in Australia, a property investment company uh, called Star Dynamic Property Investments. Uh, I'm the, the founder, I, I guess, and also the, uh, I, I call myself the global operations manager. I guess I handle all the operations um, throughout our uh, global investing. As part of his business, he's always trying to help his clients every single day. I guess our, our goal is we, we try to help Australian investors get into get safely into the US market. Um, so day to day, we're probably, I, I do a lot of operational side of things. So there's a, a lot of dealing with all the, the purchases, the renovations and things like that we're doing on properties, um, dealing with clients as well on a one-to-one basis, um, prospects, new clients, things like that. It is one thing to be able to invest into Australian property market successfully. On the other hand, why did Stuart jump into the US market as well? We've been property investors in Australia for probably coming up to 15 years. Um, we do some developments and things like that. I, I love attending uh, seminars and, and, and things like that from other investors, um, some of the big names, just to see what strategies they're using, You know, keep your, your, your ideas fresh. Um, I stumbled across a seminar back in 2013, actually, that they were talking about the US market. Um, investing in, in property and in uh, tax liens and I had no idea what a tax lien was. Um, but it interested me so I thought I'd better find out underpinned by real estate so I thought I'll find out what that's all about. Did some investigation at that stage into the US market and actually it fascinated me. Um, so I thought well, this would be an interesting opportunity. We had most of our money at the, at the time tied up in, in a couple of developments here in Australia and the, um, the low buy-in I guess in the US sort of interested me at the time. Um, so we, uh, I sort of went over, had a bit of a look and, and jumped in. As a young man with such large inspirations, we learn about where he grew up. I was born in Sydney actually, um, quite a few years ago, I won't say how many. Um, we raised in, raised in uh, northern New South Wales in country uh, on the New England Tablelands up there. Um, absolutely loved it. Um, was uh, dragged kicking and screaming at about 15 years of age. Um, down to Melbourne, and um, I've been in Melbourne ever since, really. 
never did really go back. Um, you know, the, the work and all that sort of stuff held me here. We'll find out about where Stuart went to school. All my primary school was in, in New South Wales and, and the first couple of years of high school and then I finished off the rest of my high school here in Melbourne, yeah. He thought he had an idea what he wanted to do as a teenager, but sometimes nothing goes according to plan. I've always had a bit of an interest in, in uh, sort of computers and tech. Um, went on and did a, uh, a degree in computer science at RMIT. Um, spent about uh, 18 months working as a computer analyst, a systems analyst. Uh, hated every minute of it and never went back. And um, and then pretty much spent most of my working career then in, in logistics and purchasing actually. Um, something completely different and, and nothing to do with my training, but but I sort of had a bit of an affinity for logistics. Uh, I was working for uh, Greater Union at the time and Village doing installing cinemas and then moved on and did 16 years at Holden uh, here in Melbourne at the head office. Um, I was their um, import vehicle logistics manager for 12 years there, importing all the vehicles from overseas and and distributing them out through dealerships uh, here in Australia, which I love the job. Um, and I started, uh, we were doing our, our part-time investing at the same time, and then I started this company actually in 2016 part-time while still working at Holden. And then when I finished up at Holden at the end of 2017, I've been running this business full-time ever since. Stuart had an idea of what he liked but was not sure of what industry was the best suited for him until he found it. Logistics was something I was enjoying and it was sort of, it had become my sort of career path. Um, I actually, um, I was finishing up at, at Village and I saw an ad come up at Holden and I've been a, a massive Holden fan my whole life, loved the V8 supercars, all that sort of stuff and literally thought to myself, hey, how cool would it be to work for Holden, right? So I applied. Um, not knowing that, you know, two interviews later and a, and a, uh, a test, um, I'd end up getting the job and, and was a, 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 a shift supervisor in their warehouse for a couple of years and then worked my way up into purchasing and then up into logistics. Working at Holden allowed Stuart to realise where he felt his skills were put to best use. We all have a comfort zone, I suppose, you know, and operationally is where I, I can fall into operational and I know, how to, I know how to deal with that very easily. I enjoy it. I mean, the cut and thrust of operations, it's never boring. There's always something happening. It's always different. You know, that, that's the sort of thing I really did enjoy, um, have done most of my life. I've, I've always been one to try and make sure. I mean, we spend a lot of time at work, so you want to make sure that you enjoy what you do. And if you don't, you know, I'm, I've always been one to say, well, I need to leave here if I'm not enjoying it and find something that I do enjoy. So, um, yeah, I think that's something that I've always been good at. It's something that I've always sort of, you know, fell into pretty easily. Um, the property investing side of things, though, has always been a passion of mine. It was a passion of my father's too. So that's probably where I got that from. I started late, I must admit, in, in the years, but at the end of the day, better late than never. So, um, so between sort of operational and and the, the cut and thrust of the deals and negotiation in property. Um, yeah, I love it. I love it. Stuart was influenced by his father, but he did not realise it during his teenage years. My dad was an entrepreneur. I, I guess you'd call him all his life. Um, he, he never worked for anybody. He, he, he owned, I don't know how many businesses. You know, I remember when when I was born, he owned a greyhound stud farm in, in Western Sydney. Um, prior to that, he owned three hospitals in Sydney. Um, he was a second-hand dealer for many, many, many years. Um, 
a estate jeweller. Um, he he drove taxis. Anything that he could do, basically, to earn money and, and that he could see. And then, of course, when he was getting into some good business businesses and earning good money, he was investing that into property. So I, I remember even when we moved down here to Melbourne, he bought our house that we lived in, um, and then within about three years, he'd bought four other properties in various areas of Melbourne just as investment properties and it was just something he loved doing. I was probably too young at the time, sort of 15, 16, 20, to really understand what he was doing, why he was doing, even asking questions about it. I'd never really asked any questions. I just knew he did it. We learn about the circumstances that Stuart found himself in when purchasing his first home and how they started his interest in property investment. My first purchase, and I guess the way a lot of people start is the same, um, I, I actually bought a property off my father. Um, he, was, um, he was looking to sell. I was looking for a house at the time. I was actually um, just married and was looking for a property to live in. Um, and I thought, well, this you know, be a good opportunity. Had a bit of a look at it. It was a good area. So we thought we'll buy that. So I, I bought that was my first property purchase. Um, and then, as I, I think I mentioned to you, I sort of started late in investing. I had that property for probably six to eight years or more um, before I, I bought a second. Um, and then at that stage, you know, it was really the equity had grown in the property I had, and and I had was starting to do some seminars and things like that, and start learning how property investing works. It was something I wanted to get into. Always had done, just never really took that leap. Never really decided that I I would do it. It was always a gunner. Um, but eventually, at one point, I, I sort of thought, well, it's either now or never. So we I bought an investment property. Um, yeah, and then slowly but surely, we sort of grew from there. Stuart has been able to build a strong portfolio over the years and provides us with more details. I mean, in, in Australia, um, we've probably had over the past sort of 10 to 12 years, maybe 14 to 15 properties at various stages. Um, we're not very heavily invested in Australia at the moment as far as rentals go, um, buying and holding. Um, is not something I've done a lot of here in the last sort of 10 years, particularly now we've been so heavy in the US market. Um, we have um, we have a, a townhouse development we're doing at the moment in Toowoomba, uh, four townhouses putting onto a site there. Uh, we have a house and land development package we're doing in northern New South Wales, actually not far from where I grew up, and that was probably what attracted me to that opportunity. Albeit rural, it was something, it was pretty close to my heart because I, I grew up in the area. So uh, we've got 22 house and land packages there that we're in the middle of at the moment. So. Um, you know, that, they're sort of the things that we've been doing. We had some student, student accommodation units here in Melbourne. Um, we've uh, done a couple of other townhouse developments here in Melbourne. Um, and that was sort of the market that we were looking at doing a lot of work in. I, I sort of liked the development idea rather than being landlord. That was probably not something. I had done that once or twice. Um, wasn't really a big fan of that. I, I love the cash flow side of things. I love the the cut and thrust of the deals. So buying properties and, and just sort of sitting on them isn't something I've done a lot of. Um, in the US side of things, look, I think we're probably up to around about 112, 113 purchases, something like that over the past sort of four or five years. The vast majority of that has been in the last 18, to two, 18 months to two years. There will be times when things don't always go your way and it took some time for Stuart to properly understand the way of thinking in the US in relation to property. Everything is not is definitely not all all uh, smooth sailing in, in property investing. It never is, I guess. You, you've got to prepare for that. Uh, you look at, I guess at the end of the day, if I was to suggest to look at 
the numbers without your heart, you know, try and be objective about your decisions. I probably wouldn't have bought the um, block that we've developed in, in rural New South Wales. Rural developments are very difficult and we've had a lot of challenges in that one. So that one's caused me quite a number of sleepless nights. Um, the US is probably an interesting one too. We've had some really great deals go on over there and we've had some really um, interesting deals, for want of a better word. Um, as well. I mean, my first two deals I did in the US were terrible. Uh, you know, I was I was essentially using an Australian mindset in a US market, which was just not working. I bought a property. My first property I bought was in an area in Michigan, actually, a very, very good area. Uh, I was always, you know, you, you try and buy the best property, uh, sorry, the worst property in the best street. So, you know, I found one of the best growth areas in Michigan and then bought one of the most rundown properties I could find on a large block. Uh, my plan, of course, was similar to what I do here in Australia. I subdivide the block, fix up the house on one side and build another on the other. Um, little did I know, of course, in the US, they're not at all interested in subdivision. The, the city or the councils were not even slightly interested. Uh, and then I found out that to build the house on the other side, even if I could get it subdivided, it was going to cost me more than it was worth. And then trying to fix up the house on the other side, there was too much work in it and I was overcapitalizing dramatically. So we found myself in a bit of a spot there. So I managed to sell the property with not a great deal of loss, but um, that was probably about a four to six month period where, yeah, nothing went right. <laughs> but um, but you know, I, I tried again and um, made a couple more mistakes, but but eventually sort of started to iron out some strategies that did work. Coming up after a break, we'll delve into Lindsay Stewart's journey and the differences between the Australian and US property market. The biggest difference between us and them is that in Australia, our biggest, the biggest asset you have here in Australia is land. The moment his business was born, we found a couple of properties for them that they bought and then they referred about six or seven other people and next thing I'm getting phone calls saying, hey, can you help us buy a property in the States? And that was sort of when the light bulb came on. And that's next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. There are plenty of differences between the US property market and the Australian property market and Stuart shares the most common ones. I think one of the biggest issues and particularly in the Midwest of the US where, you know, there, there's there's quite a lot of property deals you can get. Now, I'm not talking about the coastal markets, you know, not Los Angeles or New York or Seattle or any of those, but, but in the Midwest, the, the biggest difference between us and them is that in Australia, our biggest, the biggest asset you have here in Australia is land. You know, now I've never been a big advocate for, for units uh, in Australia. I, I don't buy units particularly. Um, don't get me wrong, I'll, I'll build them, um, but I won't, I won't invest in a unit because in a unit you, you're not getting any land. And the appreciation of the growth that we have here in Australia is essentially in the land. The value of the land, we have a very limited amount of supply of land that people want. And, you know, 80% of our population or some, something like that is figures, I'm not going to quote figures, but um, live on the a fairly narrow strip on the east coast of Australia and, and no disrespect to our west cousins. Uh, I love Perth and I love Adelaide, but at the end of the day, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane and, and that strip along there is where everybody seems to want to be. And because it's such a, a small amount of land, it's so very expensive and the, and the demand for it is still growing, which means the price is going to continue going up. 
The US, on the other hand, is the complete reverse. That they use their entire continent, which is a similar size to Australia, but they're spread out throughout the entire continent. Um, so land anywhere in the Midwest is very plentiful. There's plenty of it, and the demand for it is quite low. So therefore, the price is, is so very cheap. And that, that's really one of the main differences between investing in Australia and investing in the Midwest of the US. So when I go to a council, or what they call the city over there, um, and try and tell them I want to put more properties in on smaller blocks, they go, no, they're not interested. Land is not something that is a, uh, a, an asset. Uh, people, people talk about land banking in the States. That's very difficult to do. You can buy a block of land, an acre block for 4,000 US dollars. And in 20 years time, it's still worth 4,000 US dollars. It doesn't go up in price. If you bought an acre block in Sydney for any price in, in, in sort of 20 years time, it would be triple, quadruple times, you know, the price. And that's the main difference between the US and Australia. We learn about the moment when Stuart came to the realisation that he was on the right track in the US. It was soon after my second purchase in the US that I thought to myself, and that didn't go very well either. And I thought, well, okay, if I really want to do this, I need to find out what does work in the US and, and how and how to go about doing this. So I saw I went back, did some more, and then I started doing some training over there and having a look at the strategies that people were using. Um, and then I started emulating some of that. So then I bought one of the, I think the fourth or, or fifth property that I did buy. Um, someone had mentioned to me that, that the area was quite good. It, it was a, uh, actually an area I was still in Michigan. And I guess Michigan was an area I focused on early in my days because especially at this point I was still working full time. But I was working for Holden, which of course was owned by General Motors and had been to um, Detroit a couple of times for the head office of General Motors in the US. Um, so it, when, when I was looking for somewhere to invest in the States, I, I knew a little bit about the Detroit market, um, you know, probably about a couple of percent uh, and nothing about the rest. So that sort of was why I was drawn to that. And there was a, when I was over there for, for Holden at one point, um, I was talking to a couple of colleagues of mine who were investors there and they were mentioning this area was a real up-and-coming area. And I was doing a bit of research and, and stumbled across this property that was in really bad condition and I thought, well, this might be might be a good opportunity. It was in a pretty good street. The, the area looked pretty nice, very tree-lined, all your sort of your fancy terms there. Um, property needed a lot of work. But in the end, I bought it started getting the renovations done on the property, had a few things go wrong, started to learn on, on what to look for when I was buying these properties. But then, And the renovation took me around about six months where normally I, I try to do them in about three to four, so it was a little bit longer. But in that period, the market had grown significantly. So when I originally thought I could, I bought this property for about $40,000, I spent about fifty on it. And I thought I could sell it for around about 120, but the market had grown so significantly that there were plenty of properties in the area now selling for 160, 170 which was fantastic. So I, I put this on the market and was able to sell it in about two weeks for 155,000 US dollars, which basically was, uh, you know, about a 50 or 60% return on my investment in, in about six months. And it was at that point I thought that really dawned on me that I thought, right, this strategy could really work. Buying a houses, fixing them up and then selling them um, was something that I, I, from that point on, started doing and have been doing ever since. Splitting his time between work and business must have meant that Stuart was on a very busy schedule. It was a side hustle as such and, and um, look, it wasn't easy. Uh, I mean, to start with, it was really, literally I was just doing a, a property at a time. So I'd buy a property, I'd, I'd renovate the property, um, either tenant or sell it. 
Um, and if I was tenanting it, I'd be selling it as an investment property and then move on and then do another. And I was probably looking at a, doing two. Occasionally, I, I could squeeze three in in a, in a year. And this was in, so this was back in 2014 through 2015. Uh, in 2016 was where it probably started to build on me. We had a, a my, my wife um, is a, um, a training consultant in SAP. Uh, she had a, a colleague of hers come up and said they've been trying to buy some rental properties in the States for quite some time. We're uh, not having any luck. I wanted to know if we could help them because I knew that we worked over there. And I said, sure, we, could, you know, we had some, we knew a fair few people over there now, knew a lot of realtors, property managers, that sort of thing. We found a couple of properties for them that they bought and then they referred about six or seven other people and next thing I'm getting phone calls saying, hey, can you help us buy a property in the States? And that was sort of when the light bulb came on. I thought, well, hell, maybe there's actually a market here in Australia to help people and let and firstly teach people that the US market is an option because I didn't know it was even an option prior to this seminar I went to. And secondly, maybe helping people do it. And that's when I actually started the business. So then I literally had a business on the side while still working full time as well. And that was tough um, for about two years. Uh, that was a lot of work. You know, we were probably doing, I was probably doing my 40 or 50 hours a week for work. I was in a, I was in a good spot in as much as at Holden. I had been in the business in the same job now for probably four years, five years, knew my job really well. So, you know, what I, I could probably, rather than where I was doing 50 to 60 hours a week earlier, I was probably only doing 45 to 50 hours at Holden and enabling me to do another 10 to 20, you know, uh, part-time. With the US market, of course, I could do a fair bit at night. I could do a fair bit early hours of the morning because, of course, you know, at 6 o'clock in the morning for me, it was 4 o'clock in the afternoon in the US. So I'd sort of get up around about 5 in the morning. I'd do two or three hours. I'd go to work, um, maybe answer a couple of emails at lunchtime. And then when I'd come home, I could work from around about sort of nine, eight or nine o'clock at night uh, right through till sort of midnight and then start again the next day. How was Stuart able to juggle all his properties in the US when he was still living in Australia? I have been over the last sort of five or six years, I, I would go to the US and still do go quite regularly. Um, but nowadays, to be honest, when I go, it's really managing relationships more so than, than anything else. Um, Back in those days, I was lucky enough when I, and I guess how the opportunity for me at the time, because I was working for Holden and visiting the US maybe once or I think there was one year I did twice um, for Holden um, because I had to go to General Motors, um, gave me the opportunity to, to be able to I'd take a couple of weeks annual leave while I was over there and actually do some work on my property while I was there. And then I'd come back and, and you know, I did that once or twice. So I did that in, in 2013. I did that in 2014. I was able to go twice in 2015 and, and still actually start. While I was there, I'd take a bit of time off and build my real estate portfolio and business at the same time. Um, from 2016 onwards, I was taking my own trips over there. I'd just take leave from work for three or four weeks and go over there. I had long service leave up my, hand, up my sleeve, so I was using that and travelling over to the US and building the network of people and that sort of stuff while I was there. So I would go about twice a year and still do go about two to three times a year at the moment, basically building my network, building relationship with the people we use um, and, and checking out properties and that sort of thing as well. In order to maintain his business, Stuart explains the importance of having a really strong team around him to support him. Where I started was actually a realtor, a real estate agent here in Australia. They call them realtors in the US. A realtor was my first 
Now I reached out, um, I, I was trying to find someone who could help me find properties, uh, you know, something that I, could, that I could look to purchase and would help sort of negotiate for me on those properties. It's difficult to do that from here. So a realtor was probably my first one. I went through about 10 realtors that I was trying to find a good one and I did find a good one and I still use her to this day and that was back in 2013. Um, you know, so, so I guess she was pivotal because then what I, once I started finding properties, then she was able to give me some referrals to property managers to be able to get tenants. Um, she was able to give me referrals to some home inspection agents so I could get the properties inspected. Uh, she gave me some referrals on some contractors I could start using. And, and that's sort of where it sort of built up. Um, you know, as far as key personnel, I think uh, a contractor, a good contract team is, is, is critical, particularly if you're looking at doing renovations. You, you need to be able to have a contract team you can rely on that are going to turn up, that are going to do the work to a good standard. You're not there, so, you know, that makes it hard. You need someone though on, on the ground who is your sort of boots on the ground and who, who can play that that third party for you. Um, and I actually found the realtors were, were quite good in that respect, particularly if you if you made it worth their while. Now, you know, I, I mean, of course she'd get her commissions for, for selling me a home. Um, she'd also get commissions when I sold the house afterwards, I'd sell it through her. But then I'd also pay her in between, just simply, and she'd send one of her team out to the house to make sure that the contractors were there. Um, she'd send one of her team out and take some videos for me to make sure that the work was being done and we could look at the standard and that sort of thing. And that's how I really started as, as an investor. Um, you know, that was that was the way I got going and, and there was a few little key points that I started to learn and needed to make sure I sort of double, double checked everything and, you know, dotted my I's and crossed my T's and made sure that, that I, I went through all my due diligence and made sure that things were working. Even when you have a solid team in place, it is beneficial to continue to add strong members into that team. Later on, of course, I, I now have an operations manager who works in the US. I've got two of them, one in Michigan and one in Texas. I've got an acquisitions manager. I've got uh, transactional coordinators. So, you know, I've got a team that work for me exclusively now. But, but back in those days, you know, I had no problem. Um, I, I guess what it is is the, in the US particularly, there is a real abundance mindset. Whereas I, I find here in Australia, we have this bit of a scarcity mindset. Um, everyone here in Australia, everyone, and I, I find this even in my property development here, it's all about how, how's, what's the cheapest you can get. Well, how can you sort of uh, negotiate the other party down as low as possible so that you can get the best deal? In the US, it's a little different. There seems to be this mindset where, you know, everyone can have a share. There's plenty of profit to go around. And, you know, if, if I paid someone a percentage, you know, 10% of the profit, um, to help me manage a deal, you'd be surprised how much they put into that. And and really, for 10% for of the profit, that was cheap. That was really cheap. So, you know, um, cutting people in on some of the deals I was doing that they could have their, they were their boots on the ground for me so they could actually do some of the work and, and some of the, the administration of it all um, was where I learned really quickly this was a way that I could expand and yet be here and not have to travel. I mean, it would cost me 10 grand to go to the States and back in for three, two or three weeks. So, inspired by Lindsay Stewart's journey and his amazing aha moment, we'll keep the conversation going in a future episode of Property Investory. 
We'll discuss the strategies that work in the US. Your buy and hold strategy in the US will work, no problem. Um, the cash flow you can get from US properties is, is, I believe, second to none. Some useful advice that he still adheres to today. You either win and get your return or you learn and you move on and you don't do that again. And that's next time in a future episode of Property Investory. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.